we're going to go ahead and continue our sermon series titled Introducing. And, and, and the, the definition will be up. It's, it's, it's about bringing something, not necessarily new, but it is bringing something to a new area, something that already exists and works. Last week, we talked about the importance of gathering and how that it's one of those things in our lives that, that, that we need to highlight, that we, we're using the Joshua story almost as a platform. As he receives this new leadership, when Moses passes, Joshua comes into the picture, receives this new leadership. And last week we highlighted in, the, in this gathering concept that Joshua, one of the first things he did is he instructed the people to stay together, to help one another, to remain together with one another as they enter this new territory and this new season of life. I emphasize on the idea that you and I need each other more than we think we do. That we're stuck with one another, whether we want to or not. Married people in the room were rejoicing that they were stuck with one another. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, listen, if I'm not funny, you don't have to laugh, but I'm going to have up here, okay? That's just the way it's going to be. Um, you know, and, and, and as we remain together and prioritize gathering with one another, that we could accomplish greater things by doing so. Uh, but the journey of faith re requires you to belong to something. I use that illustration of when Jesus says, come follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. That, that come follow is that sense of belonging and, and fish for people is that mission that we get to proclaim this gospel to other folks around the area that need it. And in that journey that we experience with one another as we gather together, we are changed more than we think we do. See, it always happens that we think that when we do things for one another, that we're always sacrificing to do something. And in the process, we don't realize how much we're actually being changed by it, how much God is doing in our lives. I use children as an example. If you have children and you realize that when they grow up, as they grow up, you think you're investing into their lives, teaching them, helping them, doing all these things for them. But as you grow up, you realize how much they're changing you and they're working in your life and how much you're being transformed by it. In other words, as you step out of your comfort zone and be for someone else, your life will automatically change in a drastic way. Today, we're going to continue to follow that Joshua journey. And we'll see the story, and, and, and as he grew in, in leadership and, and, and further, he went on, on a journey, and, and as he grew and saw the potential that he had and the things that God was calling him to do, his relationship just instantly began to grow with God. And that's one of the things that we want to talk about today. Today, we're going to be talking about growth. Last week, we talked about gather. Today, we're going to be talking about growth. One of the essential parts of our mission as Greater Life Church is that we believe that we need to grow in relationship with God and one another. You know, the longer you are with someone, the more that relationship is going to grow. All the married people in the room understand this. My wife and I have been married for 15 years. We were sort of different, but now it's like a friendship and love, and it's, it's unique. Like, we literally will say to each other, like, she'll say to me, I want to watch this show or this movie. And I'll say, you want me to watch it with you? And nah, you know, and it's not offensive, I'm like, cool, I didn't want to watch it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it's, it's just the longer you are with one another, you, you begin to get comfortable with one another. That relationship grows. You're, you're able to understand each other. We don't even fight nearly as much as we used to. Not because we agree more, but because we let it go more. You, you, you pick your battles. You learn to understand that it's not that serious. The same is true with our relationship with God. So when we say we want you to grow in relationship with God and other people, we believe that as you become more close to God, 
like Joshua did, and you start experiencing life with God, your life will instantly grow, and you'll see a benefit from that growth. Joshua assumes commands, begins instructing the people to gather, and then prepares to cross the Jordan River. He sends out two spies to check out the land before he goes out. The two spies get spotted. They meet a prostitute named Rahab. She hides them out. She acknowledges their God and says, listen, I know your God of Israel has taken over all the land. It's, it's crazy, the movement that you guys are going on. Everybody around the land talks about it. The prostitute said, I'm going to hide you, but you got to make a pact with me. Whenever you guys storm the city, I need you to protect me. Spare my life. The spies go back to Joshua, tell him, listen, they say exactly this. They say, God has truly given us this land. And what is interesting to me is that this journey starts to begin this personal relationship with God and Joshua. You got to understand, Joshua was part of the journey with Moses, but he never was directly in contact with God. He was doing everything through the vision of Moses and to, through that concept of someone else. As he starts to walk this new call out, when Moses is no longer there, Joshua starts to have these interactions directly from God, and God begins to give him instructions personally and guiding him. One of the first things that he says to people, and we could, well, I could probably sit here and preach about this um, all day. Um, it's he, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you consecrate yourself, separate yourself. It, it, it is, it, he's preparing the people for, for an up-close relationship with God, for something unique, something that is different, something that they haven't seen before. The actual word consecrate means to, 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 to separate from anything unholy or un, unpure, to, to be set apart for a specific purpose with God. We see him preparing the people. And, and a lot of us want results in our lives. We walk around every day wanting something different to happen. We, we have expectations of what we want our days to be like, what we want this journey to look like. And in this concept, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves. And I, 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 I was thinking about this, and I said to myself, man, maybe one of the greatest enemies that we have to the life we want is the life that we're currently living. That you're waiting for this thing to happen a certain way, but the reality is that the life that you're currently living may be the biggest obstacle to the life you're wanting. Joshua realized and acknowledged that this journey will require a little bit more up-close relationship with God. That meant maybe walking away from certain things that they weren't great at or that God didn't agree with. And then Joshua 3.7 says, and I'm going to kind of be just, there's no way. We could, I mean, Styles, you would agree, we can't just, the story of Joshua in four sermons, like, we, I mean, it's, you know, we, we're, we're going to kind of storm through the, through, the, through the idea. In Joshua 3, 7, it says, the Lord told, told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites. Listen to me. He said, in the eyes of the Israelites. Joshua was going to be a great leader, but he was also going to make a point out of his leadership for people to see. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. And then the, the, the miracles begin, and Joshua begins to experience a journey with God that goes one after the other. They cross the Jordan River, 
uh, he instruct, you know, he's instructed by God to set, set aside 12 men with 12 stones so they could have a, 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 they could re, have a reminder of what God had done. The, the, then Joshua circumcises all the people that hadn't been circumcised all, up to that moment to kind of uh, qualify everyone back to the covenant of blessing with God. And then we see the fall of Jericho. Everybody know the story of Jericho. And, 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 and we see that, that, that Joshua said, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame and was in all the land. People got to know Joshua and what God was doing through him. We see Joshua in discouragement when God instructs them not to take any of the, of the spoils from the war, from, the, from, 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 from Jericho. We see a guy named Achan who hides treasure, treasure under his tent and then they face their first defeat. We see Joshua saying things in the Bible as he's discouraged. Why did you bring us all this way to defeat us? We were fine where we were. Things that the people of Israel said back then with Moses. And in all the story, we see this continual growth between Joshua and God. God talking to, to Joshua, being more direct with Joshua. Growing in that relationship throughout the entire story. His connection to God was evident. And it was also affecting the people that he was leading. You know? Joshua's journey is marked by deception, conquest, victories, defeats, inheritance. In a lot of ways, when you take these words and you apply them to our lives, our lives are the same way. We go through seasons in our lives where we go through deception, conquest, victories, defeats, inheritance, different blessings that we experience. What Joshua was doing and what made this story a little bit unique and different is that Joshua was turning all these things into growth opportunities for his life. In, in other words, if we're going to be living life just to live it, then why don't we find a way to capitalize on the things that happen to us and the things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, the difficulties that we struggle with, those things that get in the way? You know, the most powerful thing that happens to us is not what others have done or left undone that harmed us. The most powerful thing is that what God does with those things after the fact is how he's able to utilize the, the experiences that you've had in your life to make something amazing out of it. It's the foundation of the things that God will end up doing through you. Sometimes God is inviting us to use our most painful places for something better. Sometimes the best part of the healing of our wounds is the knowledge that is not being wasted. That the experience that you're having that might have hurt you, that, that caused tears, that God is purposely working things. To see a good and new thing happen in your life that would affect other people. How you grow in relationship with God is mostly based on how you perceive the journey. It's not really about the facts of what happened. It's how you see what God is doing in your life. Sometimes all life requires is for you to have a God view of what is happening to you. It's, we can sit here and talk about growth with God. And we could talk about walk away from sin. And we could talk about pray a little bit more. And we could talk about all these specific acts. But what if we just stood back and perceived things a little bit like God would? Or try to make that connection in one way or another. Just change our perception a little bit. Because the, 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 tr the truth is that the way you see your life will define it. 
Our perspective will influence how we invest our time, how we spend our money, how we use our talents, how we value our relationships. So I want to ask you one question today. How do you see your life? How do you see your life? Paint a picture. What came to your mind when you first said, how do I see my life? What, what comes to mind? What does that picture look like? It's extremely important because it, this will determine your expectations, your values, your relationship, your goals, your priorities. You will grow more in how you perceive your life than how you live it. Hear me out. We will find a better benefit from life if we perceive it differently. It's not so much about what you do. It's how you see God working through your situation. The Bible offers this metaphor of God and how he views our lives. And, 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 and he sums it down to something very simple. And I want to give you three, three very simple concepts. And you're going to be like, what are you talking about? But I, I want to simplify it for us so we understand that this journey is not as complicated as we may think. God has made it pretty simple. Of course, you say that's easy for you to say. You're not living it. But it's the truth. We're dealing with an all-knowing, all-powerful God who is either in control or it isn't. Number one, life is a test. There's a common theme in the Bible that God is continually testing people. He tests their character, faith, obedience, love, integrity. We find words like trial, tribulations, you know, refining, testing. is found over 200 times in Scripture. You're like, great, that's what I needed, another test. But it's true. God tested Abraham, asking him to offer Isaac, his son. Jacob, when he had to work extra years for Rachel. Adam and Eve felt at the Garden of Eden. We see David constantly failing. We also see amazing victories of people that passed the test. Joseph, Ruth, Esther, Daniel. Just, there's stories after stories in the Bible that, that we see God testing his people in one way or another. And you may think and look up and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Am I, big, am I just a pawn in your game? Why would he test us so much? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you don't talk to me, I'm going to talk to myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the reality is that character, our character is both developed and reveal by test. God is always watching our response to people, problems, success, conflicts, illness, disappointments. It, it is a development aspect of our lives. And how we react to these things will determine if we're ready for the next step in our relationship with Him. How you react is very simple, right? You've heard it. People win the lotto and they, they, they lose their stuff. They, they're gone. They're, they, they buy stuff. They end up in Worse debt than they were before is the way it works. When we realize that life is a test, we understand that nothing is insignificant. Every day is an important day. Every second is a growth opportunity to deepen our character and our relationship to God and to demonstrate our love for Him and to deepen our relationship with Him. Some tests are overwhelming, and sometimes we may not even notice the other tests, but we, we haven't, they all have internal implications. I, was, oh, I learned this early on that my life, when I wanted a, a big result out of my life, it didn't require a big decision. 
We believe that when we want to see a big difference in our life, it requires this gigantic decision of faith. And when I look back at my life, my life is just an accumulation of small choices I made. In addition of one after the other. It wasn't so much of the leap I took to do one thing. No, when I look back, it was this one step I took, and then another step I took, and then another step I took that got me to where I am today. We make so much emphasis on the big decisions in life and forget about the small choices we're making on an everyday basis that are leading us to the journey that God has set forth for us. The good news is that God wants you to succeed in life, that he wants you to pass the test. So he never allows the test to be greater than the grace he gives you to handle them. The Bible says he will not allow you to be tested beyond the power to remain firm. James said, blessed are those who endure when they are tested. When they pass the test, they will receive the crown of life and that, that God has promised to those who love him. I want you to remember these three words when you're thinking about life being a test. Three words. Word, people, circumstances. Word, people, circumstances. God's word in, uh, provides the truth we need to grow. God's people provide the support we need to grow, and the circumstances provide the environment we need to practice that growth. It's a process. It's all intentional. It's all for a reason. Don't undermine it. The little things in life that you do, it's like raising a child. You think the things you're saying don't matter. My son is like a sponge. Not that I say bad things around the house, but sometimes he just repeats everything I say. I'll be in the other room. I'm watching a sports. I'll watch a basketball game. And I'm like, oh, you're trash, you know, against the other team. Sorry. And he'll, he'll yell in the living room, you're trash. I'm like, and my wife is like, see, he can't be saying that stuff, you know. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> number two, number two. Life is a trust. Life is a trust. And this is something that I've been kind of embedding in our team here. Our time on earth is in our energy, intelligence, opportunities, relationships, you name it. They're all like, it's all things that God has entrusted us to manage here. We are simply stewards of whatever God gives us. I've used this, this concept of, of stewards, not owners. Stewards, not owners. And the leaders in the room here know that I've, I've talked about this. We are stewards, not owners. It all starts with recognizing that God is the owner of everything and everyone. Everything. Itemize your life. Everything. Every single thing. The Bible says the world and all, it, it, and all in it belongs to the Lord. The earth and all who live on it are his. The first job God gave humanity is to manage his stuff. The role has never changed. It is our purpose still till today. I love this verse because it puts me back to ground zero. What do you have that God has not given you? And if all you have is from God, why boast? as though you have accomplished something on your own. 
It's, it's a different kind of perspective, right? Because we, we think of our stuff and what we have. I have a house in my car. My, and we make all these statements. And in a lot of ways, these statements, they dictate how we live our lives. You know, one of the things that, that, that changes your perspective, when you realize you're handling the, the, the business of someone else, that ownership versus steward mentality is that this world tells you if it's not yours, don't take care of it. When it comes to us as believers, because we're Christians and God owns any, everything, we want to take care of what he's entrusted us with. We, we, we prioritize. We believe, God, you have given me this gift, so I'm going to take care of it as best as I can. The story of the talents, he entrusted the wealth to a servant, and while he was away, he returns and evaluates what they did with those talents. And he, re he rewards them accordingly. The Bible says, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The more God gives you, the reality is that the more responsibility you have. We all want to be blessed. One of the things that always intrigues me is to see the people of Israel and the journey that they went through. They were so about God the Savior. They loved the Savior. But then when the Lord said, they had a problem with that. We all want what God has to give us. We all want what God has to give us. But when, when he says, I need you to do this, we're like, oh, we don't want God the Lord. We just want the Savior. And the things that come with that, the benefit for me, the things that are for me, how, how I could benefit my life. And money tends to be a big example of that. I mean, most people fail to realize that mo money is both test and trust. God uses finances to teach us to trust him. And for many people, money is the greatest test of them all. My personal experience with God is that when I came to full-time ministry a few years ago, God had set me up in a position where I was able to do it and not hurt my family financially. As you know, coming into ministry full-time could be a challenging thing. I personally witnessed this growing up with my family and the things that they went through. It's not a... It's not a very lucrative experience, okay? So when God calls you into full-time ministry, it's difficult. Luckily, I had done things in my past that aligned me to be in a position where I was able to step into ministry full-time and my family was taken care of. We didn't have to sell our house. You know, we hunkered down. We did our numbers and we said, okay, get ready. Ministry season is here. But God watches how we use our money, and, and, and he'll test us to see how trustworthy we are. And I'm using money just as an illustration because it's a tool that is very important that we, we, we just kind of prioritize a lot in life. Sometimes, listen, sometimes money makes a relationship or breaks it. One of the biggest fights that we had, my wife and I, when I first saw her true colors, when we were engaged, is that she made way more money than I did. Not that there's anything wrong with that, especially not for me at the time. <laughs> you know? And it, she made way more money than I did. I was, I was making, you know, an hourly rate and stuff. And our biggest clash happened when I said to her, you know what we should do? We should join our bank accounts and pay our bills together. And I never saw this side of Rosie before. 
she starts stuttering. She didn't know what to say. I'm like, do you not trust me? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, are we, should we not get married? <laughs> you know, it was shocking to her, you know. Money is one of those things that just kind of moves you one way or another. It's insane. And listen, money is a good tool in the world, but it's also a really bad God. If you live your life by it, and all you do is surrounding money and, and how you can get it and how you can spend it. you got to be careful. This is a very important truth. Did you know that your relationship to money qualifies you to a certain level of spirituality? And how you interact with the goods of this world? And how you prioritize? The Bible says in Luke 16, 11. I'm not, I'm not making this up. 16, 11. It says, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who would trust you with the true riches of heaven? In other words, have you managed your money, worthly wealth, determines how much God can trust you with spiritual blessings, true riches. Ask yourself this question. Is the way that I manage my money preventing me from being able to seek God and grow in relationship with him. Can God trust me with more spiritual riches? Forget the money. Is there a spiritual life awaiting you that's deeper with God? And is it being affected by our concept of thinking that we're owners and not stewards of what God has given you? Here's the good news. Number three, last one. Life is a temporary assignment. It's almost over. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Are we going to die? No. <clears throat> we want to grow and perceive life like God does. Then two things we, we have to know. Compared to eternity, life is extremely short. I did this illustration with the youth group. I, I used to have, I, I took a long rope and I wrapped a, a piece of tape around the end about this much. And I was talking to them about their life and everything that you do here, you know, and I kept pulling the rope and pulling the rope and pulling the rope. This much affects all this that you do here. But the reality is only this much. We're living our lives like everything rides on this much. Earth is only a temporary residence. Davis said in Psalms 39.4, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. The Bible uses the terms like aliens, pilgrims, foreigners, strangers, visitors, travelers to describe our stay here on earth. It says, if you call, Peter said, if you call God, your father, live your life, your time as a temporary resident on earth. People come to the U.S. all the time and, get, and, 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 and retain their, their citizenship in their home countries. And in order to work here, they get what, what's called a green card. And I know it sounds kind of cliche, but some of us need like to carry around our spiritual green card all the time to realize like, listen, my time here is, it's, it's, is short. I, I better make sure it's effective. I'm not a resident of this world. The things that you see on TV, that's not me. Our identity is in eternity. Our homeland is heaven. Thinking, thinking this way makes everything we desire kind of insignificant. It helps us put true value on what we spend our time on and what we emphasize and what we prioritize in our lives. 
you know, God kind of warns us not to get attached to what's around us because it is temporary. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.31, it says, Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them, for this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. I mean, the fact is, is, this is not our ultimate home. As followers of Jesus, we experience sorrow, difficulties, rejection in this world, but it's just not our temporary home. I want some land. I want to buy land one day. That's just a personal desire. No, we have to realize as a church that we need to take back the opportunity to be kind of anti-culture, counter to the culture in a way. Because we're unique. We bring something different to the table. Listen, I've made peace with the obvious reality. I've made peace with it. I've realized that I will never fit in. I will never be cool, as much as some of you would disagree. <laughs> I will never be liked. I will never be respected and admired by this culture because of the things I believe and what I stand for. C.S. Lewis said it like this, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. In God's eyes, the greatest heroes of the faith weren't the ones who achieved prosperity, success, power, and life. No, no. It's the ones who had a temporary assignment and were faithful to God in them. Understanding that there was a promised reward in eternity for them. Our feelings today may be valid, but they are never permanent. In order for you to grow your relationship with God, you must start looking at this life as something that will pass away eventually. When Joshua took Jericho, he said that he encountered a commander of the Lord's army there. And when he recognized who this person was, he says he bowed down and began to worship him. The same is true for us. The power of God is available to his people if we obey him and work in cooperation with those same purposes that he has in store for us, you have more power than you think. You may say, Moises, I am really trying here. That may be the problem. I heard a pastor say it like this, and I thought it was so clever. He said, stop trying and start training. He said, training is doing what you can, what I can do today to enable me to do more tomorrow, he said. And listen to this. He said, we're training, not trying. He said, when we try, we are going to become something we're not. When we're training, we're becoming more of what we already are. So you're like, I'm trying really hard. I'm trying, I'm trying. Stop trying. Start training. This is who you are. Guess God has aligned you for this. There's growth at the other side of this. God wants to grow in relationship with you. And as you do, your relationship with others will also grow. It'll be a, a domino effect with your family, with your friends. You'll see that the closer you get to God, the more you would grow with him. One of the, uh, the, the things I love about God is that it says God is love, but he's also truth. And as much as that may pain us, and hurt us and feel like, oh, you're being tough with me, God. I love the idea that God loves us, but he loves us so much that he refuses to leave us where we're at. 
and he gives us truth. I think there's an opportunity for us as believers to turn away and realize that life is a test, that life is a trust, and that it's only temporary. And all we have on the other side of this is a growing relationship with God awaiting. He has a journey lined up before us that he can't wait to share. So the goal is, what are we doing to align ourselves with that? Are we really taking and making the effort, not to try, but to train in the process? There's high expectations for a short period of time. But the good news is that we have the all-powerful God with us. And we're going to accomplish great things. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. I really thank you for giving us the opportunity, God, to learn from your word this morning, to worship you this morning, God. God, it is our honor to serve you. Please, God, put before us right now those areas of our lives that need tackled first, God. Change our perspective. Let us be aligned to your will, to trust you, to identify you as the, as the lead. God, you're the owner. We're just the stewards. We thank you this morning for entrusting us with your stuff, with your business. God, help us, God, to be humble in everything that we do, to allow you to lead us and for us to not be afraid of you being our Lord in every area of our life. Thank you so much for speaking to us this morning and for allowing us this time together. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Can you give God praise this morning? <clears throat>